Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and happy Friday. I'm Tracy V. Wilson. And I'm Holly Fry. And this week we talked on the show about Lola Montez uh, after getting a listener request that jogged my memory about something past hosts of the show said more than 10 years ago. Uh, which is weird because I often don't remember anything we have talked about on the show. Uh, and so the, f- <laughs> the fact that this one thing from an episode we weren't even part of just stuck in my head kind of cracked me up. Well, that's how memory works. It surprises you. Does its own thing. I find Lola Montez really fascinating. I mean, she's not the only person we've ever talked about on the show who kind of reinvented themselves in some way. And the fact that she reinvented herself to just be such a character that was only loosely based on Spanish dance and culture. Uh, (laughs) Like, (laughs) I mean, I keep trying to think about, like, if you went on vacation somewhere once and then that became your entire identity. Yeah. She had a very cavalier relationship with the truth. Well, and... Uh, and it was also clear that the people who were reviewing her performances, um, especially in, like, the first European appearances when it was, like, a brief thing that she was doing between the acts of something else, it was also clear that the people reviewing her were not really knowledgeable about what she was supposedly doing at all. Um, because different reviewers at different times have just sort of assumed that she was doing a range of different Spanish dances, and whether there's any reality to that assessment (laughs) is kind of up in the air. Um, You know, she was definitely using music that sounded Spanish, and she had castanets, which are associated with the number of Spanish dances, but, like, a lot of it seemed to be, like, a reviewer kind of filling in mental blanks with their own assumptions about what Spanish dances and culture were like. Right. It's like you you don't have cultural literacy. <laughs> You're just kind of taking this at face value. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, and that kind of um, circles around to the running joke on the Apple Plus show Dickinson. Have you watched this show before? No. Okay, I don't know if I don't know that it would be for you. It is I, for me. I know though. it would not. That's why I have yeah. it. I, I don't want to dog on it because I know people who love it, but it I no, it's not it's not my yeah. show. <laughs> it's it's really a show that it's like if somebody in in a pitch room was like, Well, here's what we think Tracy V. Wilson would like. She would like a totally irreverent look at the life of Emily Dickinson with every episode structured around one of her poems and a lot of irreverent humor and also drama. It's like one of the, some of the criticisms I've read of it are sort of like, I don't think this show knows what kind of show it is because it's not funny enough to strictly be a comedy and it's not dramatic enough to strictly be a drama, but sometimes it's comedic and sometimes it's dramatic. And I'm like, I'm here for all of this, 100%. And I guess if you are uh, concerned about spoilers, skip ahead, maybe one minute, Um, In the second season of it, Emily's sister, Lavinia, meets um, one of the people that we mentioned in this episode. 
who is the person that she whipped in Grass Valley. And, of course, I've forgotten his name since I'm talking extemporaneously. And uh, he references having been involved with this Lola Montez and says that she shot him. And then from that point on, for the rest of the season, every time there's a mention of Lola Montez, Lavinia's eyes just kind of get this little faraway look to them. And there's a little musical background flourish with some castanets. And it just, it keeps building through the whole season. Um, And I am glad that I stopped what I was watching to get caught up on that when I read in my research that there was a Lola Montez running joke. If you are looking for a, like, reverent biopic of Emily Dickinson, if it was not clear already, that show is not that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it's, as I said, a show that I really love, though, and I'm looking forward to the third season of. Hooray! Um, yeah, I think I would need it a baseline to like Emily Dickinson's work more to be into it. That's kind of my hang-up on that one. Sure. And it's for sure a show that can be, um, discussed along the lines of whether references are jokes, which is a thing that that I've seen various people be like, ah, if you reference something and people are like, ah, I get that reference, that's not the same as a joke. Um, sure, there are many references in the show that I find to be hilarious and funny. So again, someone <laughs> said, Tracy V. Wilson, what would she like on, on, on a streaming service that she watches on an iPad? See, I'm a monster. And when there are too many, like, references as jokes, in my head I go, aren't you clever? Like, I don't find them. I become a shrew, and that's just yeah, uh, not intentionally. And I'm like, let them have their cleverness, but then there's a war in my head, and I'm it's already over. Yes, yes. So uh, I think I said this in the episode, but I'm pretty sure the most comprehensive modern biography of her uh, is Bruce Seymour's Lola Montez: A Life, which came out in 1996. Um, I'm pretty sure he funded the research of it by having been on Jeopardy. I love that. <laughs> yeah, uh, he, uh, this included, like, traveling and getting access to all kinds of papers and really trying to filter out, like, what really happened versus what is just reporting her backstory and her account of the events. Um, it is quite a long book, considering especially that it, uh, it, details the life of someone who did not see age 40. Uh, this week we talked about Daphne du Maurier. Yes. Um, that, and it was, first, she pronounced her last name herself in a very French way, and I felt like trying to be very French with her pronunciation would just be distracting in right. the context of the podcast. Right. Um, also... <laughs> This, uh, as we said in the show, the episode was prompted by me having read Rebecca. Uh, The first thing is, I got to the end of Rebecca, and I was like, this feels like it was written by someone who was maybe repressing some stuff. And then I learned all these things in her biography that she really seems to have been struggling with uh, and, like, trying to figure out how to understand about her own self and her gender and her sexuality. And I was like, wow, that I really feel like a lot of that came through in that book. Then the other thing was, I wonder how I would have responded to Rebecca 
had I read it as a teen. Yeah. Uh, because, like, my first exposure to Jane Eyre was when I was probably in fifth grade and there was a, an adaptation of it on PBS. Yeah. And I thought it was an incredibly romantic story. Um, I wonder if I would have thought Rebecca was an incredibly romantic story if I have read it as a young person. I guess we're about to spoil Rebecca if people have strong feelings about a nearly century-old novel. Uh, wow, I don't find it romantic at all. I find it horrifying. <laughs> yeah, I have never perceived it as particularly romantic. Yeah, um, Daphne du Maurier was definitely like, are you, are you all reading the book that I read? These people that seem to think it's a, a romance because, um, like, Maxim de Winter is not very nice to the unnamed narrator. Like, when he proposes to her, I think he calls her a little fool because she doesn't really know what he's talking, he's like, she's like, are you playing a joke on me? He's just not very nice to her for a lot of the book. And then it's revealed that he murdered his first wife (laughs) and hid her body by sinking her boat and told everyone that she drowned in an accident. And I'm like, but this, this is horrifying. Horrifying. Yes. Well, and I also wonder if the turn in that, right, this is very spoilery, but, you know, it's it's then revealed that the wife may have kind of wanted that. Yeah. Which that, gets a little that. bit into a whole weird thing. Um, I feel like uh, what's really interesting about this in relation to the film, is that I, I, you really get the sense reading Du Maurier, and again, it's been a very long time for me, but I remember being like, oh, this is the kind of, like, plot pacing and the turns and the reveals are what made Alfred Hitchcock's career. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, for Really sure. all because of this person who plotted all of her books or most of her, her writing, to the best of my knowledge, in that way. Uh, which is sort of interesting because we associate it with him as an auteur and like this genius filmmaker. And it's like, yeah, but it came off the page that somebody else wrote. <laughs> right. Uh, which is is not to denigrate his work because he did, he's a complicated character all his own. Um, and those films are very, very beautiful and his his shooting style, tremendously beautiful. But yeah, it is interesting to me that what we associate in many ways with him is really his source material. Right. Right, for sure. Um, we didn't really get into it in the in the episode at all. Um, but one of the characters in Rebecca is the housekeeper, Mrs. Danvers. Mm-hmm. The sinister housekeeper. Yes, very sinister. <laughs> and is uh is often very easily, in my opinion, read with like lesbian undertones. And there's some suggestion that maybe she had some kind of a physical relationship with Rebecca. Like, there's, a, a, like, that whole layer of it. Yeah. Um, and she's become kind of a camp figure, which is unsurprising. And some of that comes as much from the Alfred Hitchcock film and the way she was portrayed there uh, as it does from the actual text that was on the page in the first place. I can imagine how baffled she was when she was like, what do you mean people think this is a romance? Why why is my publisher marketing this as a romance and why do people believe him? I do not understand. Um, I mean, I have theories about why it, it would have been marketed as a romance, but they're literally all conjecture. 
Yeah. Which is that it's kind of a, a purposeful bait and switch, right? Of like, no, we'll lure them in with the idea that this is about a young woman who is intimidated by her predecessor's aura or whatever. And that seems sort of romantic on the surface. But of course, as it picks apart, it becomes a very different thing entirely. Um, and they may be like, you know, that uh, what matters is they paid for the book, whether they got the romance they yeah. were expecting or not. <laughs> uh, I still have not seen the Alfred Hitchcock film in full. Uh, and I have not checked out the new Netflix adaptation that just came out late last year. Um, <laughs> you made a face and I'm like, did you see it in Half Thoughts? I'm thinking about the first time I saw the Alfred Hitchcock one, which was at my grandparents' house on one of the few summer trips we ever took to visit them. And it came on and the opening titles came up. And I don't know what my mom thought it was, but she was like, you shouldn't watch this. It's pornography. And I was like, what? <laughs> well, I'm definitely watching it now. I think I was like 11 or 12. And I yeah. remember being like, where is the pornography here? Um, which is kind of a strange, I don't, I don't know what film she thought it was. <laughs> yeah. Well, and like, I was really into Alfred Hitchcock when I was a kid. Like we had some VHS tapes of various Alfred Hitchcock movies. Like I remember watching North by Northwest repeatedly um, and, uh, I think Alfred Hitchcock Presents was in syndication somewhere, and I would, I would watch that. There was one year when I tried to be Alfred Hitchcock for Halloween. I love it. Um, it, it, I don't think I could carry that off as, as like, a, whatever, 12-year-old or whatever I was. Uh, but I sure did think Alfred Hitchcock was great as a child, so it just surprises me that somehow this was... Uh, a film that I still have managed not to see at the age of 46. Well, there are lots of of Alfred Hitchcock things, so... There sure are. You know, maybe your mom also thought it was pornography. (laughs) My mom did have um, very... That that doesn't seem unreasonable, honestly. Um, I mean, certainly there are adult themes to it, and there are issues around it that I could see a parent being like, no, this is a little too much for you, but... I don't know why my mom made that jump. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I will look forward to reading some more Daphne du Maurier novels and short stories and things in the future now that I have had my my appetite whetted by Rebecca. There you go. Uh, So happy Friday again, everyone. Uh, We hope whatever's on your plate this weekend that it goes well and we will be back Saturday with a Saturday classic and a brand new episode on Monday. Stuff You Missed in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.